Morning, everybody. Man, it is so great to be back in the pulpit to preach. It's been about four weeks since I've actually had a chance to preach an entire message, so you better buckle up. I hope you packed a lunch, because I am fired up. I am full of preaching and ready to go this morning, and I'm so glad that you're here. If you weren't with us last week, we're in a brand new series called My Pleasure. And in this series, we're exploring together the impact that our service has. And we're looking at the impact not only that our service has on the people that we serve, but we're actually looking at the impact that it has on us. And what we have discovered is that when I serve others, as they say at Chick-fil-A, it ends up being my pleasure that serving others is what we were created to do it's the sweet spot of being fulfilled in our life on this earth and i'm looking forward to digging a little deeper into that topic today but before we do that i want to recognize a couple of people who i believe are the epitome of a life of service one is my dad lucian lee is here today and today is his 92nd birthday. So happy birthday, Dad. And I also want to take a moment to recognize an entire group of people who are all about serving, and that is our teachers. Tomorrow, a public school starts back. Kids are going back. Parents are happy. Teachers are a little worn out already before we've even started, but for us as a church, we always take time the Sunday before school starts back to recognize, encourage, and pray for all of our teachers, whether it's public school, private school, homeschool, really all of our educators. If you work with children, if you're going to be working with students in this upcoming school year, we want to recognize you this morning. So yes, I'm going to put you on the spot, so go ahead and stand. All of our teachers, all of our educators, all of our folks who work with students, would you stand and would you show them how much you love and appreciate them? Now, don't sit down. Don't sit down. Look, tomorrow you're in charge of the room, but today I'm in charge of this room. And I want to ask you to stay standing for a couple of reasons. One, I want to take a moment just to speak some words of encouragement, uh, words of challenge for you as you head back in to a new school year, and then we want to have an opportunity to pray for you. So I just want you to know as teachers, you don't go into that classroom alone. You have a church family that goes with you in spirit and in prayer. And I also want you to know you're making a difference. I know there are a lot of days when you're in the classroom and it feels like you're just spinning your wheels. Nobody's listening, nobody's learning, nobody's growing. But I'm going to tell you, that is an illusion. You're changing lives. You may not see it over the course of the next nine months. It may not show up nine or 19 years from now. But at some point, the investment you're making in the next generation is going to change lives. You hold on to that. As the school year goes on and, you know, by the time it be Christmas and you get into the spring, hold on to that truth. You know, people talk a lot about keeping God out of schools and prayer out of schools. I never, ever worry about that. You know why? 
Because as long as godly men and women like you walk the halls of our schools, the hands and feet and heart of Jesus are in those schools. So thank you for what you do. Let's just pray for our teachers all around, all of our campuses. Lord, we thank you for these amazing men and women, for the sacrifices they make in their lives with their families, for the early mornings and the late nights, for the times when they reach into their own pockets and pay for supplies and needs of their students. God, they honor you when they live their lives that way. So, Father, we pray for them. Give them the courage. Give them the strength. Give them the patience. Give them the peace to serve you well by serving students and impacting our community. We love them. We thank you for them. And all God's people said, amen. amen. As you're having a seat, yeah, you can go ahead and sit down now. So uh, I just want you to know at all of our campuses, when you leave this morning, teachers, educators, we don't want you to leave empty-handed. We want to tangibly support you in your journey. So we have gift bags for every one of you. They're full of supplies, things that you will probably need throughout the year. And we just hope you take that as a tangible reminder that your church family stands with you, behind you, and beside you as you serve in our schools. So pick one of those up before you leave today. Now, if you'll take out your message notes, we're going to spend some time this morning talking about the connection between your shape and your service. To help you understand that the way that God has shaped you as an individual helps determine the way that God desires that you serve Him. See, most of us think of serving others as random acts of kindness. You run into somebody with a need and you do something to meet that need. See a need, meet a need. That's one of our core values as a church. And that is certainly a great way to serve others. But your most effective, your most fulfilling, the most lasting way that you can serve is serving out of the shape that God has given you. In fact, notice what the Bible says, Ephesians 2.10, there on the top of your outline. It says, for we, that's all of us, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Circle the word masterpiece. I'm willing to bet that that's not an adjective many of us would use to describe ourselves. We don't go around saying, I'm a masterpiece. Most of us probably feel less like a Rembrandt and more like that painting of the dogs playing poker. You know the one I'm talking about? That we're just kind of lower level, ordinary, run of the mill. We're no masterpieces. But you need to understand, the word masterpiece doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without flaw. It doesn't mean without a past or without issues. It means simply one of a kind. A masterpiece is a masterpiece because it is the only one like it. Guess what? That's true of you. You're a one of a kind. There is nobody else like you. Of the seven plus billion people who live on the planet, 
of the billions and billions who have come before us and the billions and billions who may come after us, God has never created a person that is not uniquely designed, handcrafted by him. There are no illegitimate children. There may be irresponsible parents, but there are no illegitimate children. You are not a mistake. You're not an accident. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, or what you think you haven't done. God handcrafted you as an expression of his love and value for you, but also to be fulfill his purposes in your life life. You know, one of the places that Terry and I often go on our vacation, and we went just a few weeks ago, is to the hills of Tennessee, a town called Gatlinburg. You've probably been there. It's a pretty touristy place, and one of the things we love to do when we're in Gatlinburg is find a bench on the sidewalk, preferably near somewhere where they're making funnel cakes, sit down, eat funnel cakes, and people watch. Have you ever done that? It is amazing sitting there and watching all the different kinds of people in the world, all kinds of shapes, all kinds of sizes. And sitting there, it just reminded me God loves diversity, not only in nature and in creation, but in humanity. God loves diversity. I also realized sitting there that God has a pretty good sense of humor because there are some peculiar people walking around the hills of East Tennessee. I'm going to just tell you. But every one of us are uniquely designed by God, not only as an expression of his love for you, not simply as an expression of his desire for diversity, but your uniqueness is also a clue for you as to where and how God wants you to serve. See, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make within the church as Christians is we always focus on what we don't have and what we can't do. We're focused on, we're, I wish I could be more like that person. I wish I could sing. I wish I could preach. I wish I could lead a small group. We focus on what we can't do rather than honestly evaluating how God created us and figuring out exactly what he's called us to do. And that's what I want to spend some time on this morning. I want to look at five factors that shape my service. Five unique things about all of us that help us to discover where God wants us to serve. And it just so happens that these five things spell out the word shape. Imagine that. Wonder how that happened. It's a small miracle. No, it's just a preacher trick. That's what we do. So let's jump in. The first part of my shape are my spiritual gifts. One of the things that makes you unique are your spiritual gifts. Now, what do I mean by spiritual gifts? These are special abilities given to us by God when we become believers. The Bible says that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, that God literally places his presence and his power in you. His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, is in you if you're a believer. I don't understand how it happens. I can't explain it, but I know it is a reality. God's Spirit, the same Spirit, is in all of us as believers, but the way God's Spirit reveals itself is unique 
in our lives. That's your spiritual gift or gifts. Every believer has at least one. Most of us have more than one, but that spiritual gift is just how God reveals his spirit in your life. You don't choose it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a gift from God that allows us to serve effectively. Romans 12, 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Listen, every time you do something to serve others and you do it really well and you really, really enjoy doing it, you are expressing your spiritual gifts. Well, what are they? What are these spiritual gifts that God gives us? Well, the scripture lists somewhere between 20 and 22, depending on what scholars, how you translate it. There's a little bit of overlap, but there's about 20 to 22 specific spiritual gifts that God gives to us as believers. Now, I'm not going to go over that list, but what I have done is placed on your outline a couple of passages from the New Testament where those gifts are listed out. And there's some overlap, you'll see that. And what I hope you'll do is go and spend some time reading those gift lists this week and begin to ask God, if you don't know what your gift is, to reveal that to you. Now, what's going to happen when you read that list, you're going to look at it and you go, some of these just seem like natural talents and abilities. But some of them seem like supernatural gifts from God. What I want you to understand is that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are supernatural. Did you know that the gift of teaching is just as supernatural as the gift of speaking in tongues? Did you know that the gift of hospitality or administration is just as supernatural as the gifts of healing or prophecy? Why? Because they all come from God. Now listen, yes, you have some natural hardwired abilities and talents, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But you also have some abilities and talents that you weren't born with, that they showed up when you asked Jesus into your heart. I've shared this with you before. One of my spiritual gifts is leadership. I was not born with the gift of leadership. You can ask my dad. I, I, was, I was a follower. That's my natural tendency. But when I completely surrendered my life to Jesus at age 17, one of those gifts I received was the gift of leadership. And it took a long time for that to start to come out and to show. And so what I'm saying to you is that any leadership that comes out of my life is of God's spirit, not my natural born talents. And that same thing is true of you. Do you know what your spiritual gift or gifts are? If you don't, don't you think it's important that maybe you kind of figure that out? There's a couple of ways you can do that. There are a bunch of great little surveys and instruments and tools that where you answer a bunch of questions about yourself and it can help you discern that. And if you're truthful and honest, it's a pretty good tool. In fact, we've made a tool available to all of our home group leaders that you can get from them or maybe your group can do that together. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, we have a PDF of that spiritual gift assessment available for you to just click and download right now. It's a good thing to do, and I would encourage you to do it. But you know what I think is the best way 
to discover your spiritual gifts? Just get out there and do something. Try something. Serve somewhere. And as you're doing that, you'll begin to figure out what are the things that you're really good at, that you really enjoy doing, that impact the lives of others. And voila, you'll be working in your gift. Your spiritual gifts are one of the ways that God has uniquely shaped you to serve Him. The H in our shape is our heart. Our heart is part of our shape. Now, when I say heart, I don't mean the muscle in your chest that pumps blood through your body. I'm talking about your passions. Your heart are those things that you care deeply about. There are certain things that just move you to action, that move you emotionally. And listen, those passions are not driven by your upbringing or even your experiences. Those passions are placed in you by God. Don't take my word for it. Look at what the Bible says, Philippians 2.13. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the what? What does that say? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Giving you the what? The desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I think most of us know when we're serving others, we feel God's power. We feel God's power working through us. What we often fail to realize is that the whole reason we're doing it is because God has placed a desire for serving in us. And He's placed that desire uniquely for you. I was reading an article this week in the Washington Post about the uniqueness of a human heartbeat. Did you know that no two heartbeats are alike? The EKG, the electricity of your heart, uh, from a distance everybody looks the same. If they're not having a heart attack, you call it normal sinus rhythm. It looks like the same pattern, but when you really get up close and look at it, it is as unique to you as your fingerprint, as your facial recognition. In fact, this whole article was about a tech company that was developing a bracelet like a Fitbit that could identify you through your heartbeat. And anybody else puts it on, it knows it's not you. And the plan is to use that to help you log into stuff. You just put the bracelet on. You know, you don't have to do your fingerprint for your iPhone, or for those of you who got an iPhone 10, you don't have to do the facial recognition. If you're wearing the bracelet, it sends out a signal that you are you. That's the uniqueness of your heartbeat. Well, that's not just true of your physical heartbeat. That's true of your emotional heartbeat. God has given you this unique heart, these passions. I mean, I see that in my own life. I mean, there are things that I care deeply about, important things that I care deeply about. There are also very important things that I don't care that much about. One of the things we have a tendency to do within the church and just within our relationships is we get upset with people who are not passionate about the things that we're passionate about. We say, well, you know, I don't care that much, but well, what's wrong with you? Let me go out on a limb. I'm going to go out on some thin ice this morning, but I want to do this because I think this will be so helpful to us within the church family. When you're passionate about something and others are not passionate about it, don't assume that there's something wrong with them. 
recognize that God made them the way that he made them. I'll give you an example. Some of you are passionate about animals. I see it on your Facebook. You're always putting stuff, rescued animals, all these things. You're passionate about animals. I don't care that much about animals. I'm not moved to tears by the Sarah McLaughlin commercial. Now, I know you animal lovers are going, he is so cold-hearted. What is wrong with Philip? He don't care about animals. No, it's because God wired you that way. He wired me a different way. It would be just as easy for me to look at you and go, looks like you care more about dogs and cats than you do about starving children in Africa. It's not true. It's that God has wired us differently, given us different passions. Care about the things that you care about, but don't judge and point fingers at people who don't have that same passion. They're not supposed to. It's how God wired us. So what's your passion? What moves you? Or or let me ask it a different way. What is it you love to do whether you get paid for it or not? What is it your mind will start to think about when your mind has some free time? What is it that you don't have to set an alarm clock to get up to do? Whatever that is, God did not just give that to you to help you figure out how to spend your days off or how to schedule your vacation. God wired you that way to serve with that passion in the areas that you're passionate about. And let me tell you something. The more passionate you are about the place that you serve and the people that you serve, the more effective that service will be and the more lasting that service will be. See, if you're serving, if you're doing something that you're not passionate about, you'll bail as soon as it gets tough. Right, The first roadblock you hit, you go, oh, I'm not making a difference. I don't serve here. But if you're truly passionate about it, a team of wild horses couldn't drag you away. You'll show up no matter how discouraged, no matter how many times you feel like your wheels will spin. You'll keep showing up because God wired you that way. Passion creates longevity in serving. Let me just tell you, one of the passions that God has placed deeply in my heart is a passion for this community and this church. That's why I'm still here 20 years later. It's not that I haven't run into roadblocks. It's not that I haven't had nights where I've felt completely impotent as a leader and a pastor. It's not that I've not cried myself to sleep and thought I am destroying God's wonderful church. But I keep showing up because God put that passion in my heart. And I ain't leaving till God calls me home or he gives me a burning bush. I'm here because God's placed my heart here. What are you passionate about? Serve from your heart. The A in our shape are our abilities. Abilities, these are the natural talents and the learned skills of our lives. Some of the abilities we're born with, some of our abilities have been developed over a period of time with hard work and discipline, but all of them are from God. There's a great picture of this in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Any of y'all ever heard of the guy in the Bible named Bezalel? Anybody ever heard of Bezalel? Yeah, that's what I thought. You've never heard of him, 
but you are aware of his work. Bezalel is the man who built the Ark of the Covenant. You know the box that the, the Israelites carried the stone tablets in? The one that Indiana Jones had to rescue from the Nazis? That box, it was built by this guy named Bezalel. And the reason you don't know about him is because he's just an ordinary guy. He is just one of a million Israelites roaming through the desert. And God says to Moses, I want you to build this box to carry the the tablets. I want you to build this tent of meeting. And he gives Moses these long instructions. They're very detailed. You can read them in Exodus. Now realize Moses is no carpenter. He's a disgraced prince turned shepherd turned leader of a million people. So I'm sure Moses is writing down all these instructions to build this stuff and thinking, how in the world am I going to do that? And God says, don't worry, Moses. Just reach out to my man, Bezalel. Look at Exodus 31, verse 3. God says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of craft. You know what I think is one of the biggest issues in the church today? Is we've got congregations full of Bezalels who aren't serving because they're not more like Moses. And we've got leaders in churches, we've got Moseses in our churches are doing the things that God created Bezalel to do and they're off track serving outside of how God has shaped them. God has given you those abilities, those skills. It's not about whether you can teach or preach or lead a small group or sing a song. It's about using the skills you have. You've got skills. You've got mad skills, some of you. And God wants you to use those skills in his church, in his community, with our global peace partners. I mean, I saw this just this week. On Tuesday, Pastor Wes and I attended a graduation for one of our local community partners, Megiddo Dream Station. They do a phenomenal job of helping people not only just find a job, but prepare to be a good worker, a good employee. They take, they've taken over 100, almost 200 now, folks from the welfare roles to the workforce, bringing dignity to hurting people. And we got to go to that graduation. I got to say a few words to the graduates, but as a part of that, they presented Cedar Creek Church with an award for service. You know why they gave us that award? I've not done a thing down there. They gave us that award because of a handful of Basil Ailes who had carpentry skills, built some decks and some stairs on their mobile classrooms. And because some guys who were good at landscaping, cut the grass and planted flowers, they worked out of their abilities. And because of that, lives are going to be changed. You know, those of you that are here at Banks Mill, you've noticed over the last couple of weeks some updating in the gym oratorium, some changes. The vast majority of that work has not been done by professional contractors. It's been done by Bezoels right here in this church who said, I know how to do that, and I will gladly serve. And you're going to see more and more of that. That is God's design for the church. 
If you're not using your skills and abilities and talents to serve, not only are you missing out on the pleasure of serving, but this church is missing out on something God intends it to do. You're not here by accident. God brought you to this church, skilled and gifted you, because there's a need that you fit. There's a round hole that a round peg fits in. There's a square hole that you, the square hole, fit in. Serve out of your abilities. I know you think they're not important. All service done for the kingdom is important. The P in our shape is our personality. Our personality. Everybody has a personality. Some of you have more than one personality. And that's for a different message, maybe a whole different series. But the American Psychological Association defines personality as individual differences in characteristic patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Your personality is what causes you to think about things the way you think about them, to feel about things the way you feel about them, and to act and respond the way that you respond to the things going on around you. In other words, your personality is what makes you, you. And it's part of God's design not only for your life, but also for your service. King David from the Old Testament understood that. Look at what he writes in Psalm 139. He says to God, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That phrase, my inmost being, is a single word in the Hebrew language. It literally means internal organs, but it is figuratively used throughout the scripture to describe the way a person thinks. Your inmost being is the inner you. It's how you think about things. It's how you process. It's how you react the way that you do. That personality is part of God's design for your life. And I have to tell you, of all these factors in our shape, for me at least, personality is the most complicated of all. It's the one that's really hard to figure out. A couple of reasons. One, because researchers have identified over 18,000 unique individual personality traits. And you're all some mix of that. You're some mix in different levels and different spectrums of that. So it's complicated. It's also complicated because it's hard to distinguish what is truly your God-given personality and what is the personality you've developed to deal with the difficult experiences in your life. For example, uh, an extrovert, somebody that God has created to be an extrovert, can go through a traumatic event and become introverted as a response to a wound or a trauma or a difficult situation. We will often take on personality traits that aren't naturally ours. They're just sort of a protective device to deal with the hard, painful stuff we've been through. And so we have to dig down deep to really understand what is our God-given personality. Now, for me, I'm a simple guy. And this is how I understand personality. I think of personality in the terms of four groups, four primary types of personality. And I describe them by four different kinds of animals. I think the four personality types are the lion, the otter, the beaver, and the gold retriever. 
What do I mean by that? Well, some people have a lion personality. A lion is strong and decisive, goal-oriented, dominating, moving forward. A lion will act first and think later. An otter is an incredibly playful animal. Love to play. Otters love a party. They love to be with people. They're extroverted. They love to hang out. It's all about having a good time. It doesn't matter where we're going. We don't need goals. The goal is just to have a good time. The beaver is all business. The beaver is charts and graphs, a plan, everything together. A lot of you engineers are beavers. You know, you're all about here's the process, here's the way we're going to do it, and you're all business. The golden retriever just wants to keep everybody happy. The, beaver, the golden retriever just wants the master to be happy. They're fiercely loyal, deeply loving, and aim to please. Now listen, you're not just one of those. All of us are some combination, but some of those personality types are stronger in you. If you don't know, ask your spouse or a family member. They can probably tell you exactly what you are. Now sometimes you have to adapt your personality, not because of trauma, but because of the job or work that you have to do. For example, my natural personality is I am an otter and a golden retriever. If you were to go on vacation with me, you'd see a very different me. I'm all about having fun. Let's just have fun. No plans. But here, when I'm working, I have to be a little bit of a lion, and I have to be a little bit of a beaver. I have to take on these adapted. What I want to encourage you to do is just spend some thought and some time evaluating what is your natural personality, because I believe the more you understand that, the more you'll begin to figure out not only the best place to serve, but the best way to serve. Now, I know I'm out of time, but let's do the E, because this one is huge. The E in your shape are your experiences. See, your shape is not just based on what God has given you, but it's also built around what God has taken you through. Your life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Did you know that your life's journey is as unique as your fingerprints? And God wants to use that part of your life. Romans 8, 28. It says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now notice that verse doesn't say that everything's good. Not everything you go through is good. That verse also doesn't say that God causes everything you go through. But what that verse clearly says is that God uses everything you go through for his greater purpose and for your ultimate good. And I believe your life experiences are one of your most effective tools for serving others. Let me say that again. Your life experiences are one of your most effective tools to serving others. And here's the thing, you're not going to want to hear this, but it is usually your most painful experiences that God will want to use the most because they will have the most impact. You've heard me say that before, right? That your greatest ministry will probably come out of your deepest hurt. That thing in your past that you're sweeping under the rug, that you're repressing and suppressing, that deep pain that you just want to forget about is the very thing that God wants to use. You know why? Because it's only in that where you ever find healing from it. You won't heal by living in shame and guilt. 
But you can find healing by allowing God to use it to help others who are hurting in a way that you can identify with. You can make a difference. We call it the wounded healer. You help people best when you've walked the painful road that they've walked on. Let God use it. What are you going to do with those experiences? You want to just keep letting them be a ball and chain around your feet? Just keep being a source of grief and pain that you won't ever get past? Or do you want God to use them to make a difference in the lives of others? So let me close with simply this. I want to give you an action step. I want to ask you to actually do something practical with today's message. If you're already serving within the church, if you're serving within your home groups, if you're serving within your community here, here's what I want to ask you to do. To spend some time thinking about your shape and then ask God, do you need to be serving in a different way? Same place but just in a different way. Is there something else you can do within that ministry that might make you more effective because of your shape? Now, for those of you who are not serving either in the church or in the community, you know what the action step is, right? Just do it. You don't need to pray about it. God's already shaped you for it. Just try something. If it doesn't work out, if it's not where you belong, we'll help you take a next step. But I can promise you this. You will never serve out of your shape until you at least step out and try to serve somewhere. Take a shot. Make a difference. There's something God wants to do in this church, in this community, and he's placed you here to do it. So take a step and let's serve out of our shape. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that each one of us here are uniquely handcrafted masterpieces, that you don't make junk, and that our past, our pain, our problems don't separate us from fulfilling your purposes in our lives. So, Father, would you help us rediscover a passion reignite our hearts for your kingdom and for this church. Father, may our time together this morning not simply be a pep rally to get people to sign up to serve, but may it be a move of your Holy Spirit sweeping through your church, through all of our campuses to transform lives. God, give us the courage to surrender and say, Here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We look forward to how you're going to move. In Jesus' name, amen.